it so how we start praying out. And God, help me, help me, help me. We're really praying for the wrong thing, right? So, oh my goodness, keep those things in mind when you pray as a Christian. Remember, the first thing we need to be praying for is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Don't ever forget that. All right, if you're joining us tonight online, we want to welcome you as well. As you consider being a part of what God's doing about Trinity Baptist Church, come and experience in the sanctuary what Father God is doing. Christ, you have to do that. You're staying home tonight because you're not feeling well. We want you to know that you're prayed for, and we want you to know that you are on this, and we hope to see you on Sunday morning. Share the Bible with you. Open to the please to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to start there, but we're not going to stay there. We're looking at an interesting word study tonight on adoption. Adoption. So we're going to spend more time looking at the word adoption than we are uh, a lot of scriptures or stories go through scriptures. Sometimes it's really fun to look at a word study. Some people might ask me, Pastor, what is a word study? Let's look at a, a neat word and find out what it means. Not just what it means, but how it applies and how it applies. The Bible often goes over a thought in us called adoption. A thought that comes to us, adoption. In fact, we're adopted into the family of God. How many of you know that's true? We're adopted into it. In fact, we're adopted into Israel. If you're a Romans reader, God bless you and your family. Amen. So, uh, we get adopted into that. So what is that word adoption? We'll take a look at that. We'll look at some different translations to go along with that. And I hope and pray that you two will be as encouraged as I was as we took a look at the word adoption tonight. Uh, let's begin, shall we? First John, here John chapter 1, we're already first John as well. So John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. When you become a Christian, you become a child of God. People ask me, how is that possible, Pastor? Can you explain that theologically? Surely, surely I can. And I'm going to do it very simply and in a nutshell. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5 21 tells us. When God made him, he knew no sin, become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So literally what happens is we get a life transplanted. We get a new life or an old life. A life that's great. How many of you heard that famous missionary state, that wonderful, wonderful quote that we quote all the time, I wish I could fit it upon the marquee, but it says, He is no fool who trades what he can't keep for what he can never lose. Meaning, I trade this life that I can't keep for eternal life that I can never lose in heaven. That is not foolish. So when you become a Christian, you become a child of God. So we get the scripture here, tells us that in John 1 12. Many of you teach him. Them, he gave the right to become children of God. And just to put out on a side note, tonight's message is geared more for Christians. If you're not a Christian tonight, this may sound a little bit kind of like you're left out. Well, guess what? You are. If you're not a Christian, you are not in the family of God. Let me go ahead and say it, and as simple as it may be, nobody who's a Christian is a child of God. You're a child of the devil if you're not a Christian. So, God's not your father if you're not a Christian. So, but as many as received him, being Jesus, is the only gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so, of course, that also answers the question, how do you become a child of God? Look at the end of John 1, verse 12, to those who believe in his name. That's what the prerequisites are to be a Christian. Believe in his name. When you believe in the name of Jesus, it's going to change your life. If it doesn't change your life, then your faith isn't what you think it is. Let's take a look at our next slide. Many people have personal experience with adoption. Remember, we're talking about adoption tonight. Either as an adoptor, an adoptee, 
and noting someone who's adopted a child. In fact, if we took a poll of our family massacre, we would have a few to sit down with someone who's been adopted. I know somebody who's done the adopting. We might have some here to say, I've been the person adopted. Well, I've done the one, been the one who adopted. In fact, it's a common phenomenon now to have Christians in church become foster parents. And a lot of times out of that foster parenting, they end up adopting little children. They fall in love with little children. It's common now that common now for that to happen. So we know a lot about adoption, but for some it raises difficult questions and may result in confusing and troublesome feelings when we talk about being adopted. Adopted into God's family. Let's begin, shall we? Next one. For others, it's incredibly joyous. Incredibly joyous. And let me tell you, I also did a work study this week in my office on, on joy and happiness. Woo! I'm just going to let that one go. There'll be a summary out of that. All this stuff. No matter one's exposure or thought, we cannot allow our earthly experiences to color understanding the biblical truth of adoption. So, whether or not you've been happy about someone adopted, whether you're happy about being adopted, or whether or not you're happy about being the one who does the adopting, don't let that change or tarnish your feelings or understanding of the biblical truth of adoption. So, let's take a look, shall we? That's right. Today, adoption is an opportunity to nurture a child. I think that's how most adoption agencies look at it. We're going to raise a child in a happy, healthy home environment. And so if we stop and ask you what a, what constitutes a home in the United States of America, I bet each and every one of us will have a little bit of a different definition. What constitutes a home for you? Somebody asked, Pastor, what's, what's the definition of a home for you? One or two blanket drops. Amen? That's what home is to me. That's where my family is. When I get there, one of those boys is going to say, Dad, it's home. If not one of those boys, I'm the only one who comes home, that little black and white dog about is going to look at the door and say, Dad's home. It's home. It's home. There's nothing greater than when you go home after being gone too long. You've been there before. And when you make it back home, and out of a sudden you pull in that driveway, and you are home. Let me tell you, Christian, this world is not our home. One of these days, as Brother Mark started out our worship service this evening, one of these days he's going to call us home. And boy, when we pull up into that driveway, we can imagine what that's going to feel like. What a homecoming that's going to be. However, when we talk about adopting a child, the United States of America says we've got to put them in a nurturing, loving home environment. What is home as far as the government is concerned? Home as far as the government is concerned is somebody who provides somebody who protects, and somebody who teaches, not necessarily morals, but somebody who teaches. But can I tell you something? It may be alarming to you, but the government doesn't care really what your morals are as long as it doesn't go against their laws. Your morals can be completely immoral as long as it doesn't break a law in the book. In fact, you can become now, you have a better chance right now of adopting if you are not a church moral person than you are a church person. And it's statistically true. There's a better chance of that. So, the United States looks at it that way. We look at it as a way to build a family. That's how most of us do when we look at that. Uh, when I was a young pastor in Downwood and I pastored a little church in the Hamilton area, we had the Sunday evening doctor that had Sunday evening service at all. And so we attended another church on Sunday evening as, as members of that church. And I remember they had their youth pastor, wonderful people. And he and his wife could not have children, so they fostered three or four kids and in time and some of those kids and like a lot of foster parents ended up adopting those three or four kids and they fell in love with each other wonderful and I remember what she said
said to me, they came over to have dinner with us one night, and she said, I feel complete now. I feel finally whole. No longer do I walk in the room and people look at me like, she's not really a mom. She said, now I'm a mom. So sometimes adoption makes us feel like we build a family. We build a family. Although much is shared with modern-day adoption practice in the United States, Roman adoption Family building was simple for Roman adoption. However, unlike modern adoption, especially the United States style of adoption, it was not child focused. Let me emphatically say that again. It was not child focused. A childless Roman couple adopted someone who could continue the family line and communal presence, who could inherit the family's material possessions, provide proper end of life care. Does you need to get yourself back into the house? 
God to us. That is God speaking to us. We want that spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, you're coming to us. And there's nothing we can do about it. Because you're adopted. You did not receive the spirit of bondage, you gained the fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's begin. Now we next slide. Adoption was generally parent and especially family principles. We're talking about Romans. This would be the Roman government in this time frame. A lot of people want to say, what about Jewish adoption? Let me tell you something about Jewish adoption quickly now. What about Jewish adoption? We're talking about the law of Moses here. We're talking about what is conveyed there. When someone was adopted into a family, let's just take a look at the rights of the kinsman redeemer. And that's how we get the picture of it. It's a Hebrew word called goel. And when a person in the law of Moses noticed that, let's just say, my brother's wife is now a widow, you know the law of Moses. My brother died. And therefore, according to the law of Moses, I must now go to her. And if she doesn't have any children, I must redeem her as a goel. And as I redeem her, part of that is marrying her. But that marriage, that first child, that man child, will be raised up in my brother's name. So that his name is not cut off. That also means that that young man will inherit all of my dead brother's property. However, I've got to pay his debt. And you understand now why some of the Jews are like, I don't know how to do that. Now you understand why there's a problem with that. That's adoption. So when you understand that, that son that's adopted in Jewish life has never, ever, ever been disinherited. So if you know something, Christian, that well, I believe one of the big reasons why you can't never lose your salvation is because we were redeemed. Your kids and redeemer. Go out. You can't do it. Of course, the law of Moses. Adoption was generally, now, both. We're looking at Romans, though, and the Apostle Paul's writing in the Roman world. Looking at the Roman controlled world, where adoption is set up and recognized by Rome. Not by families, not by the law of Moses at this time, by Rome. So, adoption was generally parents, and especially family folks. As a result, the object of adoption was usually a proven adult male from one descended family. In other words, Betsy and I did have children, and so we looked over my brother's family, and they had a son over there. My brother's poor, though, and Betsy and I happened to be really, really, really rich. And so we say, would you like to come be my heir? Hope you wait till he's 25 to do so, because we don't have to wait for later. <laughs> now, the reason why is because we want to make sure that he can defend us in our old age. He will provide for us in our old age. Also, he'll pray on our family traditions and he'll pray on the family name. Now, since the significant purpose was to continue the family line, a well known and trusted adoptee was ideal. In other words, nephew, perhaps a cousin, that's something of that nature, praying on the family name. Next slide, please. Women were not adopted because they were not legally able to fulfill the desired deeds. Interestingly, and I mean interestingly enough, the Greek word for son, now say this with me, the wheels. Very good, the wheels. It's built right into the word for adoption, which is where we're going to study tonight. You know what I think of practice now? Very good, say that again. Close. Oethesia. Oethesia. If you do uh, ratchet in Greek, then your, your epsilon there in the middle is going to sound more like an F. Then mine is going to sound more like an E. I almost have to speak to that. We see it together. So, 
start looking at when we're adopted into God's family, we take on the spirit of sonship. And so the idea that we're missing and the idea that we don't teach enough of inside the modern day church is that the more we are in God's family, the more like God's son we become. Somebody say amen. The more like him we behave, the more like him we think, the more like him we act in this world today. We become the spirit of sonship. However, we could spend a lot of time tonight looking at not going back to the spirit of fear, not returning to that. And not just fear, but a spirit of, of servitude. Remember, when we're in sin, we're in bondage to sin. Amen? Remember, we're slaves to the past improvement to me. Yeah? We'll talk to any alcoholic tonight. Let's see if they don't bow down to the God of 40 ounces. Talk to any drug addict tonight and see if they don't worship the God of opium, of heroin, of meth, of cocaine, of crack, or anything else. Let's see if they don't get on their knees and say, so I look at that verse again, and I think about what he says. Each and every one of us has a different story. Some stories are far darker and deeper than others. But everyone who becomes a Christian will end in exactly the same. That's why Paul says things like, In Christ, the Jews are now the Jews. That's why he says things, In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. That's why he says things like, in Christ there's neither rich nor poor, because the very end is going to be the same. They're going to be sunshine. Let's move on to that next one. The Greek word adoption, we see often, is used only five times in the New Testament. All by the Apostle Paul. All by him. Romans 8, 15, Romans 8, 23, Romans 9, 4, Galatians 4, 5, and Ephesians 1, 5. And I've listed them for you, so we'll get to see those in a second. The familiar word is used to describe our relationship with God, appropriately called our Father. So we're done. So tonight when you pray, you go to bed and you say our Father, do it in the sonship spirit. Somebody say amen. Next slide. Romans 8, 15. When you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, the spirit which you received the spirit of adoption, of whom we cry out, Father. Father. Wonderful kind of person. Except for that adoption part. We change that too. But you receive the spirit of sonship. By whom we cry out, Abba Father. We were grafted into His Son, who is life, who is life. And because of Him, we now have life. And we now have life. And we don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore or live in the dark because we've been grafted into the light. Are you, are you beginning to see this? And some of you might be saying, I wonder what Christianity is. Perhaps you're online tonight. And you say, I want what kind of Christianity for me that takes me from this world of sin. You know what? God is not a genie. Listen to me now. God is not a genie. You don't rub the lamp and get three witches. What you do do is come to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith and get adopted into his family. And because you're in his family, you start hating the things you used to do and start loving the things he does. That's what Christianity is. We don't go out with a spirit again to fear, but we receive the spirit of sonship. But who we cry out now? I'm a father. And I love that the Apostle Paul is not just talking to a Roman church. He's talking to a church that has Jews in it, that has Gentiles in it. And he says, each and every one of you have the right to call him Abba. Abba. How about Romans 8, 23? Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruit of the spirit, even we ourselves grow within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the that's the doctrine. What if we change the sonship, the redemption of our body? 
sonship where I'm no longer afraid of cancer. I'm no longer afraid of death. I'm no longer afraid of hurting and pain and decaying destruction because in Jesus I live forever. Amen. Let's move to the next one. That's just two of them. Who are Israelites to who pertain? This is Romans 9 4. Who pertain the adoption, sonship, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Did you know when you become a Christian, you're drafted into the Israelite family? That means their heritage is your heritage. You can now partake of Passover. You can now be a part of that wonderful, rich heritage of Jewish history because you are in the sonship of Jesus Christ. Look here in Galatians 4 5. Now, this is scary for a lot, though. To redeem those who were under the law, and we might receive the sonship and That same work, that we might be sons and sons. Let's look at the last one. Ephesians 1 5. Having predestined us now, we'll come back to that. To adoption as sons, to sonship as sons, by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So let's look at those quickly now. Next slide, please. This is why our identity as adopted children is so awesome. Paul says in Ephesians, just as he chose us in Christ, and, of course, it's not men of us, so we're going to supply the word he there. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 3. Now, I know you're scared of that word. Predestined, right? You're scared of those words. It chose. We're scared of that. Let's take a look at that. Next slide. Don't get hung up on the big theological words chose, which some of our Catholics say elect. Destined, which some of them might say predestined. It is adoption. It is sonship that is the key here. And it is sonship that Paul is focusing on. Adoption gives these terms focus. Sonship gives those terms focus. And sonship individuals, adopted individuals, had all the rights and responsibilities of natural heirs. Do you remember the story that Paul gives us in the book of Romans about a wild olive branch grafted into a cultivated olive branch? And it grew and bore fruit just like the cultivated one. And also forget about that. Sunship. Grafted in. Wild. Here in Texas, we have a particular kind of pecan tree. And I want to tell you right now, we say pecan, not pecan. Pecan. We got indoor plumbing. We don't need any more pecan. Amen? We got pecans in Texas. Here's the deal, though. We have native pecans, and we have some of those outside. So that's not the concrete. We have those grapey shells and the crust of the sun. Some of us, the older we get, we like to have them, right? It's a lot easier to make a pecan pie. But our native pecans, you better bite that thing or get your hammer. That shell is as hard as rock, isn't it? It's as hard as rock. What if, though, we took one of those outside cultivated pecan trees and we grafted a type of branch on it. Because it's both pecans would start growing. Some people say it depends on how good of a horticulturist you are. And let me tell you right now, I've got a good one for it to die on me. But some of you might be really good at it and you might be able to do that where it's growing leaves and it starts blossoming and it bears fruit. Why? Because it's been grafted in. And let me tell you, church, when you have received the spirit of sonship, you are grafted in. And just like Jesus says in John 15, we need to bear fruit. Some of us forget that as well. I am divine. You are the branches. The man remains in me, and I in him. He will help me out. Bear much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. 
Spirit, as you go down and read some more in John 15, then the Father found it. Oh, that scares me a little bit. The reason why it scares because those that think they're adopted in aren't. To ask you a question, are you very close? If you're not, then you might ask yourself where your relationship stands. I'm running out of time, so let's take a look at the next slide. So we're almost done. So what does that understanding of adoption do for us? Think about it. None of us had any right or expectation to be part of God's family. Not one of us. This is true of Paul's first century office. First century office. As he wrote that letter to the Church of Rome, where he took most of our sonship scriptures from, I want you to think about their background. Now, how the Edict of Claudius happened. How Jews are cast out, and Jews are coming back into Rome. And now, all of a sudden, there's drama. And Paul speaks to the Gentiles, not the Jews. He says, hey, we got to let them accept the weaker brother. I don't know about you, but most times we think the weaker brothers are not Jews. Wrong. Um, the weaker brothers are the ones who are going to be great. Paul says, hey, you just have to learn. They're going to come in and say, we need to keep that. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. I said, let them learn. I've watched them. If you're adopted into this his life overshadows their life. His life takes their life, and you become one with him. Love the Apostle Paul. Remember when he wrote to the church of Philippi? He wrote this. He said, That I may know him, the power of his resurrection. He said, So that my life could be one with him, and I've left everything behind, counted it nothing but something. Let's move on to the next slide. Even those adult males in the early church, who broadly speaking now were adoptable, did not have appropriate social status or family relations to even hope to divide adoption. What does that mean for people in Rome who were, you know, you ever seen the Russell Crowe movie Gladiator? They weren't exactly adoptable material. He's an outlaw. How many of you grew up watching the Disney movie Robin Hood where he's a fox, you know? And the fox couldn't be adopted into the king's family until the real King Richard showed up, right? He was like, Oh, I have an outlaw for an in-law. Y'all remember that? All right, so you get the picture here of Jesus Christ. I can make somebody who was sinful. I can make somebody who was dirty. Somebody who doesn't deserve to be anywhere near God. In the spirit of sonship, be my son. Even ones that aren't adoptable. You might be on my side saying, I need a family like that. Surely you do. You need forgiveness. You need repentance. And you need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But you can't get to anywhere else. You can't do it. Let's take a look at our last slide. Paul's words would have been met with incredible joy and thankfulness. We get to be sons, even though we were once condemned to slavehood. We were once condemned as murderers, as criminals. Now we're sons of God. Stronger impact is likely experienced by women who could not experience a societal, I'm sorry, I'm so tongue a societal elevating adoption. You should have seen me trying to spell that. Societal elevating adoption. Further adoption in Rome was personal. Remember, it was personal. You had to know that person. And so when we look at the Roman picture of what adoption is, what God is saying is, I know you. I know your name. I don't know about y'all, but I think to be excited. God knows everything about me. And he wants me to be in his family, adopted as a son. Look at that last slide. Parents 
We're not satisfied with just getting adoptees. They want specific individuals. God didn't just want to populate heaven and the new earth with just anyone. God knows us and wants you and me specifically. We do not deserve this, but as Paul states, it is through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we get to celebrate. Through Jesus Christ, we get sonship. Through Jesus Christ, we have the right to be the children of God. You don't get to the end of First John. Did you get to the end? Well, you get to chapter three. You open up that first, first chapter three. You know what John says? He says, "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, adopted into His family." We're going to close that word of prayer. He spoke to you tonight. We're going to have a very short invitation. The host already seven thirty. A very short invitation. He spoke to you. Would you come? Perhaps say, Pastor. I need to be a part of the church, whatever it may be, would you be willing to come? Let's pray together. Father God, we come now in Jesus' name. Know how to thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I pray right now, Lord, you take charge. Speak to our hearts. There be anyone that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. There be anyone that needs to get their heart right with you. Let's not get that night. Which in Jesus' great mighty name we pray. Amen. Would you come with me sing just a verse or two? I surrender all. Would you come? Be a child of God this evening. Would you come? Would you come? Get adopted into God's Come and surrender tonight. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Amen. God bless you all. Hope you enjoyed the time of worship here with us at Rock Seventy Baptist Church. Don't forget now. Youth fundraiser, don't forget the uh, upcoming camp at the end of the month. Don't forget our upcoming mission trip in July. Start praying about these things. Get a part of the thing. Also, the upcoming chili cookout, lots of things that are getting ready to happen. So be a part of what God's doing around San Same time, I want to introduce you to somebody here tonight. I know you're filling that out, but I got something I have to do. Church, this is Marcus. He comes tonight and says, We repent for the sins. We want to be a child of God. He has asked Jesus into his heart to be his Lord and Savior. If you're going to support him and love him and pray for him and see what God does with him and love him and have him you say amen? Welcome and God bless you.
Well, in the meantime, let's close that word of prayer. And I want to ask you to take a second. Come on up here. Hug Marcus is next. If you need to pick up one of those tickets for the youth fundraiser, grab one of those. Whatever the case may be. But I'm going to ask Sister Brittany. Would you close with me?